the Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Just remember that the show is made possible through listeners and viewers like you. Just go to thepaulleslie.com and click on Support the Show. Thank you to all of you who have contributed. Now let's get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to welcome our special guest, Tommy Hunt. Thank you, thank thank you, thank you. It's a great pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you. May I ask you, are you are you from the old days? Are are, are you are you the are you the new breed? <laughs> well, I guess you could say I'm the new breed. I was born in the eighties. Oh, well, welcome <laughs> to the world. Welcome. To- <laughs> well, for all the listeners out there, tell us, who is Tommy Hunt? Can I be honest with you, Paul? Yes, go for it. Tommy Hunt is one of God's children. That's the only way I can put it. So kind of take us back a little bit. What was life like growing up? It was confusing for me because I was born in a one-parent family, three sisters that were older than me. So it made it a little bit awkward for me because sometimes I didn't know which way I was going. But I fought hard to uh, more or less reserve my, uh, or preserve my uh, identity. It wasn't unfair. It was the normal, normal child's life. Can you remember the earliest music that you heard? Yes, I can, very easily. I used to, um, whenever I could sell a few papers and make a few pennies, I used to buy gospel records because I used to love the old groups like and the pop groups like the Delta Rhythm Boys, Mills Brothers, Ink Spot, all those guys, you know, I used to love them. And I think that's where I I got connected with the show business thing that I that I wanted to be in the, in show business by listening to them. Of course my mother was a little bit of a showgirl in her day. She was one of the chorus line dancers. So that kinda of rubbed off on me. You went to reform school. What was that experience like? Well, I'll be honest with you. It's not embarrassing to talk about it for the simple reason is that for the life I had, it was more or less of a kind of a lucky streak for me to be in reform school because it gave me more strength as a man than I had when I was just out about living my life in the free world with three sisters because I was... I was so connected to my sisters, I just didn't know which way I was going. And when they put me in there, it gave me another outlook on life because it was run by men and it was disciplined. So in a way, you know, it helped me. I'm not now, saying for anybody else to want to go to reform school. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not endorsing it. <laughs> what gave you the feeling that a career in the music business was in your future? Well, I'll tell you something, you know, a lot of people, you know, some people choose show business to be in. I didn't choose it. It was just born in me. I felt it when I was about five or six years old because I used to show off every time my mother had friends coming over the house, I'd have to do my show. It was just that. I don't know where it came from or how I got glued to it, but I just know it was there. It was a love I knew I would have for the rest of my life, and I'm still here, and I still feel the identical same way as I felt then. 
How did you come to form the Five Echoes? Well, my mother used to run a little chili restaurant in uh, Chicago, and I used to help her out a lot. And there was a couple of guys that used to come in, and they would always be singing around. You know, you hear them singing or humming or something. I asked them, I said, are you guys a singing group? Are you uh, professionals? And they said, no, 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 we just, you know, we just like to sing, and we're trying to form a group. And I said, oh, I said, I sing a little bit. And they said, oh, yeah. They said, well, we're looking for a second tenor. I said, what is, what is your voice? I said, I don't know. I said, I just know there's a voice there. So they said, well, come come around and see us sometimes, and let's put our heads together and see what we come up with. And that's how the Echoes were started. The name The Echoes came from uh, one of the boys had a voice that sounded like he was sing- always singing in the echo chamber. I said, you got a weird voice. He said, I know. He said, a lot of people told me that. I said, why don't we call ourselves the Echoes? And that's how it came about. When you were approached to sing with the Flamingos, did you know who they were? Yes, I did. At that time, my mother was working in a a club in Chicago called the Club de Lisa. And in those days, that was the sepia club where they had all of your uh, top big black acts to come, like Roy Hamilton and uh, you had Nat King Cole, big people like that. They always had maybe two or three acts. And I used to go there to sneak in the corner to watch the entertainers. And I went there one night, and from that, from the moment I heard them, I told my mother, I said, I'm going to be with that group one day. I said, I don't know when, but I said, I am. Because that was just the perfect group for me. And when they came for, when they came looking for a new guy, because two of them were going into the service, Johnny and Zeke were going into the service, they came to me and said, would you join our group? Well, I didn't want to leave my group because I didn't want to, you know, betray them. But they told me, you go, Tommy, said, because if you get, if you make it, then you can help us to make it. So that's how I got with the Flamingos. When you look back at the songs you recorded with the Flamingos, what would be the favorite of yours? Well, it goes way back before, it goes way back before uh, Only Have Eyes For You. It was a song called Golden Teardrops. I didn't record it with them, but that was my most favorite song that they did. But the song that I liked, what they did, was actually just a, a song that didn't mean that much. It was called I'll Shed a Tear at Your Wedding Dear, and that was one of my favorites. And also, I, I loved I'll Be Home. We're talking with Tommy Hunt. That song, I Only Have Eyes for You, I think is rightfully considered a classic. Yeah, it's still, still uh, bringing in a penny or two, and I literally mean a penny or two. <laughs> Did you all know that when you were recording that song that you had something great? Well, for me, for me personally, I had listened to so many songs in my life before the Flamingos. You know, I'd heard Only Have Eyes for You by Dick Powell, the movie star. I'd heard it by... Nat King Cole. I heard it by so many artists. So it, I knew the song. I knew the song. And when George Goldner of Gone Records called us into the office and said, why don't you do an LP of Evergreens? I said, what's an Evergreen? They said, well, songs that have been hits, but really, really great songs from great writers like, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Berlin and Cohen and all them guys. I said, what songs do you have in mind? That was my question because Zeke and Jake was talking to him, too. I said, well, he said, you know, songs like they're writing songs of love but not for me and 
songs like Lindy popped up with I Only Have Eyes For You and Love Walked In and stuff like that. I said, oh, I says, a couple of them I don't know. I said, but I know I only have eyes for you. I said, it's a pretty song. I said, but is it commercial enough for today's music? I said, because I said, it's not the run of the mill doo-wop group type of music. And he said, that's what's going to make the difference. He said, because it's not, he said, it's something fresh. And you're taking the doo-wop group further. You're advancing them further in, in music by doing some songs like this. I said, well, the Mills Brothers did songs like this. He said, yeah, he said, but you don't have anybody today doing songs like that. So when we did it, he was right. That's all I could say. He knew his music. What are your memories of performing at the Apollo back in the 60s? Memories? Oh, i got loads of memories. My biggest memory, Paul, was when I first went to the Apollo with the Flamingos after working in Canada at the Casino Theater. We went from there to New York. It was our first time in the Apollo Theater. And as you walk into the foyer, on each side of the foyer's walls, they have pictures of all the old sepia stars that have worked in the Apollo over the years. I used to be... Uh, like mesmerized by looking at it all the time because there was all, all the, I mean, all the old timers. I'm talking about guys that you probably never heard of, but I had heard of it because that was my time. I just couldn't believe that all these famous people that I loved throughout my kid's lifetime, they were all had been at this place. So I thought, wow, this is going to be me walking on that stage where all that sweat, blood, and tears was from some of the great black artists of the of this times. I'm going to walk on that stage. So I don't know. Nothing happened the first time, but when we went back the second time, the strangest thing was that when we walked in, I looked at those pictures, and on one of the pictures was a picture of the flamingos. Now, that wasn't there the first time I walked in. But they had put that on there saying that we deserved the spot on that picture with the rest of the greats. Now, that was fantastic for me. I said, oh, wow. It was like being in the Hall of Fame. People that walked through the doors of the Apollo would see my picture with the flamingos. That was the first thing. The second thing is when I left the flamingos and went on solo and I had human and I worked the Apollo again because Mr. Shipman, the, the owner of the Apollo, he, him and me were like father and son. He loved me and I loved him. And he always tried to help me. One day when I was work, uh, working at the Apollo, I came in one day and I was I was leaving the theater that night because the sh last show was over. And I walked through the foyer and I looked at the other w picture on the other wall and I was on it by myself as a solo artist. I said, wow. I said, now this is a compliment. And today, right today, somebody has called me from there and said, you know what, Tommy, those pictures are still up in the Apollo and you're still on them. Now that, that's amazing. All these years. I'm 7820. I'm 7820. 7820. I just don't know what to do with myself. I just don't know what to do. Well, let me explain that to you. When I got with Septuan, I'll explain it to you a little more thoroughly. When I left the Flamingos, I met Luther Dixon, who was, I think, the A&R man or, or 
top man in, in Scepter One Records, and he heard that I had left the Flamingos, and he approached me and asked me would I be with uh, Scepter One, I, and I said yes. I didn't even know who Scepter One was, and he said, well, you heard Chuck Jackson and the Shirelles, and I said, yeah. He said, well, that's who we had. I said, oh. So I said, yes, I'd love to be with you. I said, that's if you think I can possibly be some kind of advantage to the company. So he said, Tommy, don't worry about it. He said, I've heard you sing, and I like it, and I want you with us. So he took me up to the office, and the first thing the lady who owned the company, I have to tell you this because it's the truth. The first thing she said, we don't need any more male singers. We have Chuck Jackson. So that didn't hurt me. It just The only thing disappointed me was the fact that she didn't give me a chance to say hello. <laughs> it was just I was out the door before I was in. But lucky for me, Luther told her, said, no, no, if I want Tommy in the company because I think Tommy could be a good, a great, great singer for us. So uh, she agreed, and that's how my career started with Scepter One, and my solo career started, I think, about a month after I left the Flamingos. And the lyrics were by Hal David and the composer Bert Bacharach. Yep. And what happened was that, that they contacted, after they heard me do Human, because at the time they were doing a lot of work with Dion Warwick, and they called Luther and said, can we uh, use Tommy on a song? And, well, naturally, you know, Luther was going to take that deal because they were, at the time, two of the hottest writers, you know, in America. He told, Luther told me about it, and I said, oh, I said, fine. I said, I'm just here to sing and try to better the name of the company and to better my own name. He took me over to their office at the Brill Building in New York. They pulled the song out. They played it for me. Paula didn't like it. And I told them, I said, it's not me. I said, because it's too, I thought at the time what they were writing was too over. I'm a layman, you know what I mean? Give me layman's words, words I can understand and I can put my feeling into them. Bert Backlash wrote like in riddles to me. Like the song you've heard, Dion's songs, they're like little, they're not like the everyday run-of-the-mill group type of songs. Like I'll Be Home or even Only Have Eyes For You. It's a straight melody. Good melody, good melodic sound, good little silly words, simple words for people to understand. And when I heard, I just don't know what to do to myself. The melody was pretty, but I just didn't feel I had the heart to sing it, and I didn't want to mess up for nobody else. But they insisted that that he wanted me to do it. So Luther said, you have to do it, Tommy. So I said, I'll do the best I can. I said, I'm not going to promise you anything. I said, because for me to sing a song, i got to feel it. I said, I can't lie to you. I said, so if I'm no good for you, I said, you need to get rid of me. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, no. He said, if you feel that way, he said, well, we'll come to some kind of agreement. So we can't. We, I did the song. And sure enough, I, I think you know the story, the rest of the story, don't you, that a Dusty Springfield came and took it? Yeah. I think everybody knows that story. But it's a strange thing. Even over here, a lot of people say they like my version better. So there you go. You don't know. what. It's all down to the people's judgment. Who have you worked with in the music business that was the biggest honor for you or the biggest joy? Yes, I can tell you. The guy that I idolized when, uh, as a single solo singer before I got with the Flamingos, his name was Roy Hamilton. He was the one that really sealed the deal for me to know that I wanted to be a singer because when he came out with Never Walk Alone, and that's the type of songs I like to sing, big songs, he mesmerized me. 
When I worked with him, we became friends, and that was very important to me. And then when he died, you know what I mean, I lost, I lost a lot. So he influenced you a lot? He's a singer that influenced, he had a lot of influence on people like Jackie Wilson, believe it or not. He had a lot of influence, on, he had a lot of love from people like Mario Lanza. This guy was a fantastic singer. And right today over here, I recorded over here his song called Cracking Up, and it's one of my biggest club numbers over here because he, his songs are, are, are huge over here. The people over here thought that I had some kind of a voice like that, and they said, would you record Roy Hamilton's Cracking Up? And I said, me record Roy Hamilton? I said, you must be crazy. And they said, no, you have that type of voice. He said, not, you don't have his voice, but you have that type of strength. And I said, yeah, I'll record it, and I recorded it, and right today, you know, everywhere I go, I mean, not only in England, I'm talking about the world, people say, you're going to do Cracking Up. So Roy left me something, and I appreciate it. How did you come to write songs yourself? Well, I'll tell you what happened. I lived over here in England for, ooh, I'd say about, I'd say about seven, eight, ten, maybe ten years. Then I moved from England, and I moved to Amsterdam. Because a guy over there who had a big club called uh, what was it, the Lido. They have a Lido in Paris and they have a Lido in Amsterdam. And I, would, I was the top of the bill at the Lido in Amsterdam. So what happened was the band I was working with were from Belgium. Very good band. In fact, we're still friends and we still do things together. What happened was the guy and the leader of the band asked me, he said, Tommy, would you do uh, some, some, you know, some small records or something for us over here in Belgium? So I said, yeah. So I went over and I cut a couple of things with them, which, knock on wood, today is going to be released finally after all these years. So the guy in the studio, he said, Tommy, do you write? And I said, no. I said, I never wrote a song in my life. And he said, oh, that's a shame. He said, because I have a melody here. And he said, I don't have any English lyrics to it. And I said, I can. I said, and then my wife says, well, I can, you know, do a little poetry. And so I, I said, well, you have a go at it. So she started writing, and a line came up in my head because I was reading what she was writing. And I said, try this line. So she tried. She said, oh, that fits nice. So I said, go ahead. And then I thought of another line. And by the end of the night, we had the song finished. When I got back to our apartment, I said, you know what? I said, strangely enough, I said, those lines I gave you made me feel like maybe I could write a whole song myself. And she said, why don't you try? So I set up that night, and I wrote 35 songs in one wow. night. And, and, now, and now, over the years, I have 7,500-something songs I've written. Good night. <laughs> yep. I went writers crazy. I mean, I was writing every single day. I never stopped. I just stayed focused on it. The songs are coming like, like raindrops. That is a healthy collection of songs. That's amazing. And, and when people say, oh, you didn't write that many songs, and then some friends will come over to my house to have coffee or dinner with me, and I take them up to my music room, I said, well, what do you think now? And they said, my God. And they said, you are, you are not kidding. I said, no. I said, there they are. And I said, and I never thought to do anything with them. I was just writing for fun. And then somebody said, well, why don't you try to, you know, get your songs out there with some artists or something or yourself? And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. I said, so 
I'll just wait and see what happens. Now, all of a sudden, it's starting to happen because I started working with a Greek boy, and uh, we put some stuff together. And over the years now, I've got I've got an LP coming out in Belgium of myself with 18 of my songs. I've got a, an old girl singer from the States called Ruby Andrews. She's doing eight of my songs. I've got a deal in Germany with another girl singer who's doing some of my songs. So I'm, I'm over the moon. <laughs> you have lived in Amsterdam, and now you live in the U.K. What made you want to live in the United Kingdom? Well, let me tell you. Well, you were born in 80, right? 81. 81. Okay. That's not your fault. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, let me tell you the story. In the 60s, 1964, do you remember what happened then? Think, think back in your mind. 1964, who came to America? The Beatles. That's who I'm talking about. When the Beatles came to America, I saw this with my own eyes. I was walking down Fifth Avenue. I don't know where I was going somewhere. I, I, I can't remember now where I was going. But I saw all these girls in the street. I mean, girls like you wouldn't believe. And they were screaming something because I wasn't close enough to hear what they were screaming. But they were looking up. And I looked up, and I saw these guys' heads out the window. And then the the, the name came out more clear as I, I, I got closer to the girls. They were calling Ringo, Ringo, Ringo. And I said, uh-oh, I saw the writing on the wall. The writing on the wall was our music, as we knew it, was getting ready to get pushed back on the burners. And that's what happened. That's just what happened. So I said to myself, I said, well, if they can come over here and steal all our music, which I tell the English this. And I don't, don't tell Americans. I tell English. I tell everybody. The Beatles stole our music and made it on our music. They made millions on our music. And I said, well, if they can do that, I'm going over to their country and see if I can steal a few pennies out of their pockets. <laughs> so I got over here, and what happened was, well, did you read the book? I don't have the book, not yet. Oh, I have to get the book for you, because it's all there. And you'll be shocked what I had to go through. But, you want me to tell you something? All fair is in love and war. I'm happy, you know what I mean, Paul? I have a nice home, I have a nice little dog, I have a lovely wife. I should have put my wife first before my dog, but <laughs> she's not here, so she's in here. <laughs> so far, you know what I mean, I have no I have no uh, animosity or pain or anything about what's happened because I've just figured whatever happens in your life, that's your destiny. It was supposed to happen. And it's been interesting because... Even though I didn't make it to the top, I've been all over the world singing. I've been to four continents. And to me, for a no-namer, I didn't do too bad. And I'm still doing my show. And I'm, right now, I'm booked up until March. So it's just, you know, I just think that if you just, you know, control your, your life and be fair with yourself and fair with others, good things will come out of it. What are you the most proud of? Uh, being American. That's what I'm proud of, and I missed it. But I know I this is what I had to do for my life, my personal life. What else is there to be proud of? There's, there's no better place in the world than your own, own roots. And God knows I love you all. I just hope that I'm doing something 
something right to make you all proud of me because what I'm trying to do is show the world that Americans are good people. I haven't fallen down on the job yet. <laughs> Go ahead. It's interesting talking to you. Thank you. What is the best thing about being Tommy Hunt? The best thing? Let me put it this way. I don't even know Tommy Hunt. Now, that sounds weird because my name is not Tommy Hunt. My name is Charles DeRico. <laughs> I've been trying to figure out who Tommy Hunt is all my life. I got that in school when some kids said, you don't look like a Charles, you look like a Tommy. And it just stuck with me. But what I feel about, what I'm proud about with me is the fact that what everybody said wouldn't happen. I proved to them that it, it wouldn't happen and that you can live in this world trouble-free. You can slip through this world and have a comfortable life, have a normal life, and still have your dream. I've got my dream, and I've got my normal life, too. I've got both of best world, the best of both worlds. I'm happy, Paul. I'm very happy. I love everybody. I don't, I don't have any animosity towards not one soul in this world. The only thing I can say is that people that want to hurt you are the people you don't need. And when you don't have them around you, you don't miss what you never had. What is your all-time favorite meal? My favorite meal? It used to be my fried chicken and potato salad, but it's not that anymore. I think my private meal now, would you believe it, would be Chinese. Chinese food? Chinese food, yeah. What dish? I like prawns. I love prawns. So anything that they fix, you know, in black bean sauce or whatever sauces they have, as long as it's prawns. It's prawns that are really my favorite. Prawns and lobster. And I've had some of the good lobsters over in America when I went to uh, Red Lobster. You got those restaurants? Oh, I had a field day. <laughs> the people thought I had never eaten. <laughs> oh, there's some good food in America. I tell everybody there's good food there. But you know what happens after you've been away a long, long time, you know what I mean? You do, you lose the, some of the taste for American food because you've been eating such a bland food over here because it is bland. You know what I mean? As far as seasoning is concerned, that, that's, that's like asking people, uh, they say, what is seasoning? Seasoning. I said, well, it just makes the food, gives the food a little bit of a boost, you know what I mean? It kicks you a little bit. And they say, oh, well, we don't use, we don't use seasoning, you know, I think you know, salt, pepper, you know, a little bit of a, some kind of sauce or something in your potatoes or your something. I said, I don't know. I said, I just know that when we cook over in the States, it's tasty. <laughs> so can you send me uh, something over? <laughs> I'm starving. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we do have listeners from all over the place. So my last question would be, what would you say to them? Uh, let me put this in the right perspective. What I'd like to say is don't let things... I've been watching the news of all the ups and downs and stuff like that. Just try to live with positive thoughts. Keep your faith in, in the Lord. Don't get fooled by somebody else's stupidity. And that I love all of you, and I hope I hope one day I can grace your stages again and give you some of the happiness that you've given me over the years that I've, when I worked there. All the joy and happiness you've given me, I would, I'd like to return it. 
in full. And thank you very much for being Americans, and thank you very much for being my roots. Well, Mr. Hunt, thank you very much for this interview. No, thank you very much, Paul. And I just I just hope, you know what I mean, even if it's a conversation sometime, I'd like to talk to you. Because yeah. it brings, you know, it's like, you know, it's home, you know what I mean? It's, n- it's nice to, to, to stay in touch with home. Anytime, sir. Thanks a lot, Paul. You have a good one. You have a good you have a good night or a good day because you're still daytime over there, aren't you? Still daytime, yes. Yeah, well, we're in we're at night now, so you have a good day, as they say over there. I learned that's a new thing. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> you too, sir. All right, bye now, Paul. Ba ba doodly beep ba ba dee da dee bum ba dee boo ra ba dee kanaza jib ba kila kanda. Goodbye.